through the book of James. We've recently started a new series, a new study here in the book of James. Uh, and uh, we just uh, did the introduction last uh, Lord's Day, and now we're going to uh, continue on. Uh, we only got one verse last time. We hope to get a few more verses in this time. But uh, this morning we want to look at the elements of endurance, the elements of endurance, and looking at verses one, uh, chapter one, verses two through four. I read an article about a commuter flight that uh, went from Portland, uh, Maine, to Boston, and the pilot heard an unusual noise near the end or near the uh, rear of his small aircraft. And he turned the controls over to his co-pilot and went back to check it out. As he reached the tail section of the plane, the plane kind of hit an air pocket and he was kind of tossed against the rear door and he quickly discovered uh, where the source of that mysterious noise was. It was the rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff and it flew open. And the pilot was instantly sucked out of the jet. And the co-pilot, seeing the red light that indicated the rear door was open, radioed the nearest airport, uh, requesting permission to make an emergency landing, and reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane and requested a helicopter search uh, to begin to search the, the ocean where they were flying over. And uh, after the plane landed, they found the pilot. He was holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he had caught the ladder and held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew 200 miles per hour at an altitude of 4,000 feet. And then at landing, he kept his head from hitting the runway, which was just a mere 12 inches away. And it took uh, airport personnel several minutes to pry his fingers off of the ladder. You think things can get turbulent in your life? Sometimes uh, there are some difficult, turbulent days that we experience. And you may not feel like holding on. Uh, you may have found that troubles and trials that cause turbulence in your life, and you're surrounded by adversity or affliction. Well, here in the opening verses of the book of James, it speaks to us about our trials. It helps us to turn our tears into telescopes and it helps us to look, take a careful look at the things that are presently happening in our life, but look at them from a future perspective. James used the word temptations here in verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When we use the word temptation, often we uh, use it to speak of a solicitation to do wrong. We're saying we're tempted to do something we shouldn't do. But James is not talking about that kind of temptation. But he's talking rather about tests, sufferings, trials. Now in our first study in chapter 1, verse 1, James is writing to a scattered people, not a sheltered people. 
Uh, he's writing to people who were experiencing great trials in their lives. And in my opinion, verses 2 through 4 are some of the most enlightening and encouraging words in the Bible for those who are experiencing trials in their life. And the passage before us teaches us that trials should not be viewed as a foe, but as a friend. So let's look here at verses 2 through 4 and notice how to turn tears into telescopes. Notice, first of all, the predicted outbreak of trials. The predicted outbreak. First of all, we see that trials will surely come. Or they will come surely. One of the things that James tells us is that trials are certain and should be expected in our life. You thought, well, when I became a Christian, everything was going to be smooth and good, right? No, not necessarily. Christians suffer. Christians have trials, just like anyone else. And so we should expect them. He tells us that we can mark it down, that somewhere, sometime, there will be an outbreak of trials in your life. They, be my, they might be little things that happen, or they might be big things. Notice carefully that James says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy. And notice the next word, when you fall into divers temptations. He does not say uh, if. He says when. They're going to come. James is telling us trials are certain and that we can expect them to come at one time or another. Now I think of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter tells us not to think of it as strange, not to be surprised when trials come our way. And also think of what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 11. He said, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He's able, right? He's able to deliver them. Paul said the Lord delivered him out of the trials, not from the trials. See the difference? The Lord delivers us out of our trials, but He does not necessarily deliver us from trials. Trials can be expected. James says they will come. The question is, how will they come? And we might say, well, why does God allow trials? Why? What is the purpose for allowing these testings in our lives? First of all, to get our attention. Did you know the Lord is constantly competing for your attention, your affections, your time. Uh, the cares of this world choke out the world, the word. They drown out the Holy Spirit's voice. And we read about that in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. But as we crowd the Lord out of our lives, He patiently reminds us. Let me say here that we have trials sometimes 
because we create problems for ourselves. <coughs> Reminds me of the story of a, an Irishman, a Mexican, and a redneck. They were doing some construction on a tall building. At lunchtime, the Irishman opened his lunchbox and said, Corn beef? If I get corned beef one more time for lunch, I'm going to jump off this building. The Mexican opened his lunchbox and exclaimed, Burritos again? If I get burritos one more time, I'm going to jump off too. The redneck opened his lunch and said, Bologna again? If I get bologna sandwich one more time, I'm jumping off this building. The next day, the Irishman opened his lunch. He sees the corned beef sandwich again, and he jumps. The Mexican opens his lunch, he sees the burrito, and he jumps. The redneck opens his lunch, and he sees bologna, and he jumps. Well, at the funeral, the Irishman's wife is weeping. She says, if I had known how tired he was of corned beef, I would never have given it to him again. The Mexican's wife said, oh, I, would have, I could have given him tacos. I didn't realize he hated burritos so much. Then everyone looked at the redneck's wife and she, she said, Hey, don't look at me. He made his own lunch. <laughs> What's the point? We create our own problems sometimes. We, want, we like to blame our problems on someone else. But many times we create our own problems. We create our own trials. And then we look for someone to blame Listen, we need to realize that God is trying to get our attention when those problems and those trials come in our lives. The Lord wants us to behave. Uh, problems, the testing comes into our lives. They get a little too hot to handle. Our response should be like David's. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let my, not my enemies triumph over me. And as the testing gets more difficult and the times get hotter, our hands maybe get burnt, our strength is strained, our joys begin to, to, to juggle and our faith begins to faint. And then the invitation of Christ becomes more attractive when he says, Come unto me, only you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, God allows trials in our life to get our attention. Secondly, He allows trials in our life to get us to examine ourselves. You might say, well, Lord, why is this happening to me? Is there anything in my life I need to get right with you or with someone else? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And so self-examination must take place in the Word of God. The Bible provokes us to ask ourselves several questions very probing questions. We might ask, is this trial in my life because I have dishonored my parents? 
Bible says in Ephesians 6, verse 2 and 3, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now that's just for kids, right? I don't see any age limit there. Honor thy father and mother. You say, but my father and mother, they don't live for you, for Christ. They're not saved. But you can still give them honor. And then we might ask ourselves, well, have I rewarded evil to those who've done good to me? Proverbs 17, 13 says, Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. And we might ask, well, have my attitudes or my actions brought my problems on upon myself? And so there can be many other reasons that God allows trials in our lives. Just let me list a few of them. I won't expand on them, but one of them might uh, uh, be to conquer pride. You know, we're uh, often proud in our dealings. We think, you know, I've got my rights. I, you know, I'm important. I'm the important one here. And pride begins to to work its way into our lives. But God allows trials to cut us down to where we realize that we're not the most important thing in life. He is. Uh, to remind us of our weaknesses. But we all have weaknesses. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And so God brings along a trial, a difficulty, a temptation, a test, to remind us of our weaknesses. And to motivate us to cry out to Him. I don't know about you, but there have been times when God has brought some trials and some suffering in my own life, some difficulty, and it's caused me to cry out to Him and ask Him, Lord, I need Your help. I don't, have, I don't know how to deal with this. And so it's a motivation for us to go to Him and, and cry out to Him and ask Him to, to help us. It's to cut the strings of our dependence on worldly things. So often we're dependent upon what we have in this world instead of depending upon the Lord. And the trials come. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a, a uh, something that doesn't work anymore in our house or uh, in our, you know, we realize, you know, what am I going to do without a microwave? How am I going to live without a dishwasher? No, I can't. I can't handle this. You know, sometimes we depend upon the things of this world too much. Maybe it's even the money that we earn. Maybe we get a cut in pay, or maybe we we don't have enough. Uh, uh, money at the end of the month. Enough month at the end of the money. And so we depend upon worldly things instead of depending upon God. I think it also, he brings trials to make us homesick for him. This world is not my home. 
My citizenship is in heaven. And so I think the trials come and say, Lord, I'm so thankful that someday we'll be in heaven and we don't have to deal with all these trials in heaven. To make us homesick for heaven. And then also to reveal what we really love. What is it you really love? What is it that we really uh, just, you have to love and is it Again, is it people? Is it is it uh, is it things? Is it uh, your home? Is it your car? Is it what is it that we really love? Sometimes the trials come because they help us that we love Him because He first loved us. James is telling us trials are certain, and that we can expect these trials to come at one time or another in our lives. So I don't know if I want to be a Christian. You know, I don't quite like the alternative. You see, even through all these trials and these things and how God reminds us of these things, I think it's for our good and it's for His glory. Not only trials can come surely, but trials can come suddenly. You notice here it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall. How many of you have ever fallen? Well, most of us have fallen at one time or another. How many of you did it on purpose? Well, I think I'll fall. Usually you don't do it on purpose. It's something that comes very suddenly. You trip or you, you stumble over something. And all at once you find yourself in a heat. And uh, for me to fall, it's a real heat. I've fallen a couple of times at my daughter's house, uh, down her steps. And uh, thankfully I've survived those. I even took out the handrail on one one of her uh, steps one time. But it wasn't something I planned. It was something that just, boom, just like that. And that's the way trials come. It may be an accident at work. It may be an accident on the highway. It may be a sickness that becomes a trial, but it comes suddenly. It says, when you fall, the word fall here is only used one other place in the New Testament. And that was in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, when we read, and Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among Thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. The word fell there and the word fall here are the same word. And the usage in the story of the Good Samaritan gives us an illustration, I think, of what James is talking about. There was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and suddenly, without warning, these robbers attacked him. James is telling us that when we fall into trials, they come suddenly and without warning. We could be going on our merry way without a care in the world, and then all of a sudden, something happens. We're engulfed by a trial. Maybe it's a knock at the door. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a visit to the doctor. Maybe it's a pink slip at work. <laughs> 
And suddenly, we turn our calm and our peaceful sea into a stormy and raging sea. And our storms come suddenly. Everything may be fine at the present, but just around the bend is a trial, or maybe trials that are facing us. Again, look at the word temptations for a moment. In James chapter 1, and also in Luke 22 and verse 46, I think are two key chapters in the Bible dealing with temptation. Uh, the word in this context does not refer to temptations to do that which is evil. We've already determined that. But it comes from a Greek word which means trial or test or a proving time. And I also find it interesting that our English word pirate can be translated temptation. Like pirates that ambush an unsuspecting ship, trials come suddenly. Now, there are no pirates here in James chapter 1. Okay? But we do see some trials and some testings. These trials or testings are directed toward an end. And the end or goal of the test is that a person who's being tested would emerge stronger, more mature, and more pure. Trials can come suddenly, but then trials can come separately. Now, here James speaks of our falling into diverse temptations. I'm not talking about deep sea divers. The word divers here means, and it's an interesting word, I think uh, we could call it a technicolor word. Because the word divers means multicolored. Multicolored. In the Old Testament, the same word was used to describe Joseph's many-colored coat. Remember, Joseph had a coat that he was given. It had many colors. Same word. James uses the word to describe the diversity of our trials and how trials can become or can come in separate ways. It was Shakespeare who said, When sorrows come, they come not in single spies, but in battalions. One may experience one kind of trial, and someone else may have another kind of trial. It's possible we can have a different kind of trials at the same time, like a multicolored garment. They, there are various kinds of trials. Ever had one of those days where everything seemed to go wrong? You know? You spilled the coffee all over the carpet. That was the first thing that went wrong. Well, the first thing that went wrong, you got out of bed. Got out on the wrong side. But what sometimes it just seems like everything that goes wrong on that particular day. It becomes a multicolored trial. And I think there are really two kinds of trials. There are trials of correction, and then there are trials of perfection. The trials of correction come when we are out of the will of God. And God uses the trial to get us back in line with Him. The trials of perfection come when we are in the world, will of God, and God will use that trial to make us more like Christ. Again, James tells us the question is not if trials come, but when. Trials may come 
surely. They may come suddenly. They also may come separately. Next, notice the promised outcome of the trials. James tells us that when trials come, they always have a divine purpose. He says in verse 3, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word knowing speaks of understanding. Now James is saying, I want you to understand that when trials come, they are not without rhyme or reason. God always has a purpose for the trials that come your way. I think if we would stop and think about that when the trials come, it would help us to face that trial much easier. But this is the promised outcome of our trials. What is the purpose of trials in our life? James explains three things that trials produce in our lives. First of all, trials produce spiritual purity. Spiritual purity. James speaks of the trying of your faith in verse 3. Now the word trying here speaks of purging uh, the purging effect of trials. And the picture behind the word is that of precious metals being heated in order for the impurities to be removed. As someone has said, a Christian is like a, a tea bag. He's not worth much until he's been in through hot water. And God puts the believer into the fire in order uh, to purge our lives of all the impurities. Trials are often God's way of getting us to deal with the things in our life that are displeasing to the Lord. Trials are have a purifying effect. Someone has said that God puts us under our, or puts us on our back that we might look up. Some of you had some hospital stays and some sickness that's laid you flat on your back. It may be that God wanted you there so you'd look up. God has His ways of getting our attention, and He has His ways of working on things in our life. Trials are often the way He accomplishes that work. Again, someone else has said, sorrow, loss, and disappointment were sent to bring the wanderer back to the haven of peace from where he strayed. Trials have a purifying effect. We also notice that trials uh, have a, excuse me, a spiritual stability. I had myself James uh, tells us in verse 3 that trials work with patience. The word patience speaks of perseverance. Uh, James is telling us that one of the things that God makes strong Christians is through trials. It's our impatience that accelerates our foolishness many times. Young people get impatient in the areas of, uh, of sex and they end up making some serious mistakes that affect them the rest of their lives and they have to deal with maybe an unexpected pregnancy or a loss of education or guilt or family conflicts. Trials produce patience. The word patience is another one of those interesting words. It means to not only remain, endure, and bear things in your life, but turn your trials into greatness and to glory. The word describes a man that is not swayed with, from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. The word here means fortitude, endurance, steadfastness, constancy. It's the fruit that comes from and conquers the trials and tribulations of life. Patience is uh, 
does not lie down in order to be run over by a tidal wave of trouble. It meets problems head on and it goes forward. Job was a man that grew stronger through the trials of Jesus. And the verb form here, patience, is, is also a word which means to remain under the trial in honor, God-honoring way. In order to learn the lessons that they, that they are sent to teach rather than getting out from under them to relieve the pressure. You know, many martyrs for Christ died not grimly, but they died singing in victory. You go back and read some of the uh, the stories about the martyrs who were burned at the stake, and many of them were not crying in anguish. They were praising God. God wants us to pass our trials, not to pass out. When we patiently endure our trials while trusting the Lord, we grow in the area of endurance, which has a lasting quality in our life. We need patience as long as we're going through the fire and are in the trial. And when our trial is complete, patience no longer has a purpose. Endurance, on the other hand, is an inner quality of strength. It's permanent. It's a trait that grows and develops each time a trial is trustingly and patiently endured. It was Colonel George Washington Goffles, the man responsible for the completion of the Panama, Panama Canal, had big problems with the climate and the geography, but his biggest challenge was the growing criticism back home from those who predicted he would never finish the project. Finally, a colleague asked him, aren't you going to answer those critics? In time, he said, when? When the canal is finished. You see, in spite of the opposition we face in this world, we're to finish what God wants us to start. When we are not, we are not to get sidetracked. We're to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. How are we made strong? Someone has said trials are a divine gymnasium whereby we develop our spiritual muscles. And then notice the third thing here that trials produce, and that is spiritual maturity. In verse 4, James says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, entire and entire, wanting nothing. James wants, uh, or uses the word perfect twice in this verse, and it's a, a word that has a variety of meanings. It's meant to, fit, uh, to be fit for the task that you're sent into the world to do. Uh, for example, a sacrificial animal was called perfect. A scholar was perfect if he was mature. A person was considered perfect if he was full grown. So the word describes here a multiple of meanings, but the word described at the end or completeness of a process or thing. By the way, we face a trial, we are fitting or unfitting for the task that God has planned for us. And James is talking about a spiritual perfection, a spiritual maturity. He does not want the believer to be lacking, but complete, living a full Christian life. The work of patience is maturity. The work of patience is wholeness and completeness. 
But also notice the word entire. Let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. The word is from another word that means whole or entire in every part. It's a, a word that is uh, has the prefix holo, where we get our English word holograph, which means 360 degree, three-dimensional picture of an object. And so the Greek word holokeros was also used of an animal offered to God and a priest that was fit to serve the Lord. The animal was had no disfiguring or disqualifying traits. It was fully developed in every part. That's the way God wants you and me. To be fully developed in every part. He wants us to be mature in our faith, in our spiritual growth. Many of us have a long way to go. God wants us to be mature. And so He's going to send some trials to bring about that maturity. That our faith and our, our, our spiritual growth will be developed. God always has a purpose. It may produce spiritual purity, spiritual stability, or spiritual maturity. He always has a purpose. And then, as we close here, the proper outlook for trials. James not only tells us that trials can be expected and that they always have a purpose, but he also tells us how to look at our trials. What should be our attitude concerning trials? Well, let's go back to the first part, verse 2, where he says, My brethren, count it all joy. Now, if you're going to endure trials, you must count some things. And first of all, James says, My brethren. So, that tells me that he's talking to believers. But notice here our joyful anticipation. In verse 2, a strange statement that James makes here. He tells us to count it all joy when we're facing trials. You say, preacher, it's hard to have joy when you're going through a trial. I agree. <coughs> trials are not pleasant. They're certainly not enjoyable. <coughs> Most would say it's joy when we escape the trial, not joy when we encounter the trial. But notice carefully what James says. The word count here is a word that is very powerful and very challenging. The word is a command because joy is not a natural response to trouble. You don't naturally become joyful when you hit a trial. But a closer look at what James is saying here reveals a powerful message. And the meaning of this word is to be a leader. To have authority over. To consider or to count. James is offering a challenge to us that when the difficult testings come, we're to be leaders in reflecting joy. We're not to let the circumstance overwhelm us. Instead, we're to rule the circumstance like a governor, by being joyful. The more we rejoice in our testings, the more we'll realize they're not liabilities. They're privileges that will bless us, will not hurt us. And we're to consider that trial a joy by the act of our will. It's something we choose to do. Now the words all joy 
Count it all joy. I'm told that this is very emphatic in the way it's said here. It means to be joyful and it's emphasized here. We're to have joyful to the highest degree. You know, as bad things may be, as bad as things may get in our lives, God wants us to be thankful. He wants us to be joyful. And He'll give us the strength we need to survive. It was Spurgeon who said, The trials of Christian life you shall find heavy, but you'll find grace. But you'll find grace that will make them light. Joy will help you endure. And the man who, who many believe was probably the greatest American president, probably a good example of of having joy in trials. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home and he went to work at seven. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have an education. At the age of 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. And three years later, the business partner died. And as a result, debt took years to repay. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at the age of 37, but then failed to be reelected. His son died when he was four years of age. When this man was 45, he ran for Senate and lost. At the age of 47, he ran for the Vice Presidency and lost. At the age of 51, he was elected the President of the United States. You know who he was? It was Abraham Lincoln. The man who learned to face discouragement and move beyond that discouragement. Did you know it was Abraham Lincoln who, in the midst of the Civil War in 1863, established the annual celebration of Thanksgiving? Lincoln had learned how important it is to stop and thank God in the midst of great difficulties. You know, when we rejoice in our trials, it's one of the greatest opportunities that we have to demonstrate the power of Christ in our lives. And the, the world understands trials, and it understands problems, but when they see us having peace and joy, they say, what in the world? How can you have peace and joy in the midst of your trials? It's the joy of the world. And they take notes. And they realize you must be have something I don't have. What do we have? A living Savior. Not only a joyful anticipation, but we finally see our willful participation. This is one thing I, I, I want to point out in what James is saying here. He tells us in verse 4 to let patience have her perfect word. Work. James is calling for our cooperation in what God is doing. You like trials? I don't like trials. No one likes trials. No one enjoys trials. Yet we must allow God to do what He wants to in our life. We must trust Him. We must yield His plan. Uh, we must submit to His work in our life. Again, when it is all said and done, the trial will be worth it. Instead of fighting what God allows to happen in our life, we view it as an indication of God's love and His interest in our life. Let Him work as He wills and produce in our lives what He plans. 
read about the roses that were taken from the Vulcan mountains. They produced some of the world's finest perfume. But in order to get that lovely fragrance, the workers must gather the roses in the darkest part of the night. Therefore, they start shortly after midnight, conclude their picking within a couple of hours, and the brevity of the work period is based on scientific tests that show that during this interval, the blossoms give their most pleasing scent. Forty percent of the aroma fades with the coming of day. And we will work, and we will face dark days in our lives. There will be dark times, but we must never forget that if we want to experience the, the sweetest aroma, the dark times are necessary. Turn your tears into telescopes and count it all joy when you experience trials. Serving the Lord, counting it all joy when we go through the trials, letting patience have its perfect work in our lives are elements of importance. May God help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God help us to be enduring Christians. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.